Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing all right this week. How are you? I am doing all right. No, I'm doing all right, all right, all right. I'm Matthew McConaughey (laughs) this week. I feel like we've parent trapped ourselves. Normally, I'm doing okay, and you're doing great. I'm sorry. Yeah. How does it feel to be me? I, right. <laughs> no, I'm doing okay. I'm I'm doing also great, but my youngest son's birthday is coming up this weekend, so oh, you know yeah. how that is. The days Aww. leading up to your child's birthday are always just a little bit stressful, you know, because I always, you know, I'm racking my brain thinking about what are we going to do that's going to be special? What am I going to give him? All those things that moms think about and then it's also hard because I feel like my kids um, have had a lot of things and have a lot of things. So I don't, I'm out of ideas already. The kid's eight years old and I just don't really have a lot of great ideas. And now he's into things that are not toys. And so that makes it even harder Yeah. because I just don't really know, but I can't believe it. My little, my little baby, baby, baby is turning eight it. and yeah, it's just the craziest thing. So it's been a little bit of a busy week, just kind of getting things together for that and kind of getting in touch with people who want to come see him this weekend. So it has just been Oh, yeah. It's been busy, but I'm doing great. I just remember whenever he was a little teeny tiny thing on your back, like you carried him around all the time. And oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's eight. That's crazy. I know. I know. I feel like the 
And especially with the way the last year has been, I feel like we lost that whole year. So I feel like he should be turning seven and not turning eight. And we should just have a do over of last year entirely. But yeah, it's hard to believe it. It really is hard to believe that my youngest is turning eight. Yes. Yeah. It's exciting. It's very exciting. So we're looking forward to uh, just having a fun weekend with family and just hanging out and celebrating him. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're going to get right into it this week then. Um, We don't really have any other major announcements. It is officially March though. So that's excellent. It's official. Yeah. It's spring, the month of spring. So that's something good that everybody, I think everybody is happy to see spring being ushered in. So we're just going to go ahead and get right into it this week then. In February of 1993, Shelly Kepley walked out to her mailbox at her house in Lake Tahoe and she found a birthday card that was addressed to her young son and it was from her father. It wasn't unusual for her to receive cards from her dad in the mail, but something that was unusual was that when she got this card, it was at a time where she hadn't actually spoken to her dad on the phone in months and this was despite leaving voicemails and asking for him to call and just trying to get in touch with him. But when Shelly opened this card, she immediately knew that something was wrong. The card said that it was from her dad, but based on the tone and the handwriting, she knew that somebody else who was not her dad had actually written this card. And of course, this was very alarming to her. And immediately she had this sense that something really terrible had happened to her dad. Shelly's dad was 53-year-old Paul Gruber, and he was born on December 4, 1941 in Marathon County, Wisconsin. He was a really bright kid, and one of his quirks was that he had this fascination with languages, and he wanted to know, you know, know more than one language, and he was really interested in being able to speak different languages so he could go different places and communicate with the people. He graduated from South Tahoe High School, and from there, he attended and then graduated from the University of Nevada in 1965. He actually majored in French, and he later got his master's degree in French from the University of Geneva in Switzerland, which is pretty cool, I feel like, to get a degree in another language and from another country, too. That's really something. That's really awesome. Yeah. Before graduation, Paul married a woman named Kathy McCaig in 1964. The two of them settled down and had two kids, a son that they named Carrie and a daughter that they named Shelly. When Shelly was around three years old, her parents sadly got divorced and Dave became what the kids kind of thought of as the fun dad. And he brought them to play putt-putt and he would let them pick out what cereal they wanted and just the kind of dad who was really fun-loving and wanted to just be there for his kids and make really fun memories with them. When Shelly was in school, they actually went on a trip to Mexico and had a really awesome time. Paul, as we said, loved knowing several languages, and this made traveling really easy for him. And that was one of the reasons why he really wanted to be able to speak a lot of languages, because he was a world traveler, and he had actually been to every continent except for Antarctica, which I don't really see a lot of reasons to go there other than to just say you've been there. But if you've been to the other six, I feel like you might want to just go and go all the way with it and go there. (laughs) (laughs) So Shelly actually grew up and she had kids and she said that her dad, Paul, was an amazing and wonderful grandfather. He was very attentive, kind of the way that he was whenever Shelly was growing up with her sibling. At the time of our story, Paul had recently moved to Sandpoint, Idaho, just a few months before. Sandpoint is a really idealistic place. And at the time, a lot of people were leaving these really big cities and moving to smaller towns to have this small town kind of life. 
He had been a school teacher for years before retiring, and after he retired and moved to Idaho, he buys his dream home. And the area he lives in, it's a place with very little crime. People weren't even locking doors at the time. Can you even think of a crime that's ever happened in Idaho? Just that I just no. <laughs> barely. Yeah. I like whenever I thought about that, I'm like, I don't think the whole state. I really just don't know of any. Back in the early 90s, I also remember I didn't, my family didn't really lock our doors every, you know, every second. Not like I do now. When I'm at home now, even if I'm just here hanging out, the doors are always locked. I'm always checking that yeah. the doors are locked. And it's just a different time in a different world because I remember growing up and our front door was always unlocked. We would leave the house and go run to the store and my mom wouldn't lock the door. Um, so I totally get living in an area where you feel safe doing that kind of thing and just leaving all of your things wide open and trusting that nobody's going to come in there and mess with your stuff. Yeah. And as we said, this was the early 90s. 90s when not everyone has video cameras, but Paul had one and he used it to document everything, including this new house that he had bought. He wanted to show his friends and family. So he spent a lot of time, you know, videoing and showing each room, kind of talking through the rooms, what he planned to do in them, you know, what he was using the room for. He showed the views outside, which were just breathtaking. He really liked to document his life in this way to share. And so Paul brings his camera and his videotapes with him to visit his grandkids and Shelly and her husband back in Lake Tahoe for the Christmas holidays back in 1993. And he stays with them until January 5th, 1994. Shelly says they had a really great visit over the holidays. She had made him a stocking, bought him a lantern. He just really had a lot of fun with her kids. They just had a really great visit. But whenever he left, Shelly said she just had this feeling that she was never going to see her dad again. And so Shelly calls her dad to check on him. By the time he should be home, she doesn't hear back from him. So she calls again, leaves more voicemails. At one point, her dad's voice message, is it called voicemail back then? What did you call it then? Answering machine. Answering machine. Yes, answering your answering machine, machine message. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm like, I know this isn't right. Yeah, so the answering machine message, he had this jovial kind of funny message that was on there with his voice. And then after a while of her leaving these messages, it just turns to a beep. So just beep, leave your message. A little while later, it sounds like somebody else's voice. Whoa. Yeah, so she hears this and she asks her dad to call her back. He doesn't call her, and on one of these recordings, she says, you know, hey, it's your grandson's birthday coming up, just wanted to remind you. A few days later is when she receives that card in the mail. In February, Valentine's Day comes and goes, and she doesn't hear from her dad. He normally sent her flowers. She receives nothing, so she's becoming more and more worried. On February 28, 1994, Shelley called the police in Bonner County, Idaho, and reported her father missing after more than a month from seeing or hearing from him besides receiving that birthday card. So at this point, the police really, there's not really a lot to go on. This is an adult. You know, he could really be anywhere. You know, we've heard of these stories where sometimes people just leave on their own accord or for whatever reason, they're just not getting back in touch with their family. So there's not really a cause for major alarm. But the police decided to go to Paul's house and do a wellness check anyways. When they got there, nobody was there. He didn't answer the door or anything. But from the outside, there didn't appear to be any signs of foul play or anything that looked suspicious in any way. So Shelly at this point really is not sure what's going on. 
She knew that her dad had this uh, post office box at the post office, so she called them to see if, you know, if he had been picking up his mail, which really is not something that not information they're supposed to give out. You know, they're not supposed to say, oh, yeah, he comes in every Tuesday and, you know, gets his mail. But she kind of pressed it a little further. And, you know, they did end up telling her that, yes, somebody had been picking up the mail from the mailbox that was assigned to her dad. So Shelly knew that her dad actually had financial advisors. And when she found out that somebody was picking up his mail, she kind of thought, well, you know, maybe he is fine. Maybe there's something else going on here. But I'm going to reach out to other people who he may have been in touch with recently and find try to find out more. So she reached out to his financial advisors. And they said that they actually hadn't talked to him on the phone for a while either. But they had gotten an email from him recently that said he, quote, met new friends and was off to Canada, end quote. So Shelly knows her dad. She knows that he has this history of being, you know, loving to travel and liking to go visit different places. But he also didn't typically do this or take trips like this without notifying the family and especially his daughter. You know, they're very close and tight knit and they have a great relationship. So she thought it was really unlikely that he would just take off and go on a trip to another country without notifying her. So she called her brother and the two of them decided together that something was definitely wrong. And they asked the police to go ahead and break into their father's home to see if they could find any more clues that would kind of give them any idea where he might actually be or, you know, if anything has happened to him. The police did go to his house and they did end up breaking in. And they were actually shocked to see that the house was pretty much emptied out. It didn't really look like anybody was actually living there. There were no clothes. There was no computers or television, no papers, no checks. Um, His truck and his boat were gone. There was just no signs of him or that this was his residence at all. So as far as the papers went, they only found one receipt in the residence, but the electricity was still turned on. So somebody was clearly paying for that. So to the police and really anybody else who is listening in, um, this was really a weird scene. But they also were thinking, you know, maybe there is still a reason behind this that's not, you know, anything nefarious. They thought maybe Paul had a new girlfriend or he was in some other situation that maybe he just didn't want to tell his daughter Shelly about. And that's why he was kind of doing all this under the radar. But Shelly, of course, knows this is a huge problem. Her dad has just moved to Idaho. He had all of his stuff unpacked. So she knew someone's gone in there and taken all of his stuff. But they still had no idea where Paul was. So Shelly again mentions this card that her dad sent her and said, you know, hey, it doesn't seem right. I've looked at it. I've compared to other cards that I have. Can you have a handwriting analyst look at it? So the police get a handwriting analyst and compare the cards that Shelly gives to him to this new one. So she had a ton of cards for them to compare, like his name and all of that, the handwriting on. And so after they compare it, they felt like it was Paul's handwriting. About a week after going to check on Paul, a truck is found abandoned in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Police run the plates and realize that it's Paul's truck. So that's whenever the local police call the state police to help them investigate. So they go through this truck, and whoever had left this truck there had wiped the entire thing down. There is not one print to be found on this entire truck. So police realize something's not right here. This None of this is adding up, and adding this truck that's been abandoned now you know, what's going on. So the police decide to go back to the house to look over it once again, see if there's something they're missing. 
this time when they go, this is really crazy to me, they go in and they see there's carpet in the dining room. So when they were there before, there was no carpet. It had been ripped out. There was no carpet in the dining room. And now all of a sudden, it's carpeted, which is just crazy to me. And that's when they realize something, you know, is definitely going on. And they end up pulling up the carpet to spray luminol to test for uh, the presence of any blood. At that time, they find a huge amount of blood. It's obvious that somebody's been hurt in this house. And while they're there, this one officer looks around and notices this like weird shag rug that's literally glued to a hardwood floor. So this beautiful floor and there's like, I don't even know how big it is, like a two foot rug in the middle of it that's glued to a hardwood floor. Something is not right here. You know, what are you trying to cover up? So police rip this up and they find a divot in the wood. They believe that possibly a bullet had ricocheted to make the small hole. At this point, police believe that Paul is likely dead. There's a huge amount of blood on the floor that they find, but really they need to confirm that it is a match to Paul. So they decide to get a DNA sample from his ex-wife and from his kids. And so we're going to get into what happens next after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Spring is here, and I'm excited to usher in the new season by creating the springtime retreat of my dreams with Bloomscape. Bloomscape is a company that delivers healthy plants right to your door. We all have that corner of our house that needs a little something something, and that something is probably a plant. Bloomscape has gorgeous living plants that are perfect for any space. I was not born with a green thumb. In fact, I wasn't born with any sort of gardening thumb at all. So when I checked out Bloomscape for the perfect plant, I was thrilled to see that I could search for plants based on their difficulty, as well as things like how much light they need and what size I'm looking for. The site is super easy to navigate, but choosing was difficult because all the plants were so beautiful. I eventually chose the Dracaena Dorado in a charcoal colored pot because it not only ties my whole living room together, but it's rated no fuss on the difficulty scale. I'm obsessed with it and it's so beautiful and came with easy to follow instructions so even I'm able to take care of it. If you've always wanted to be a plant mom or dad, there couldn't be an easier way to do it. The Grow How team with Bloomscape is so knowledgeable and you can even check out videos and advice from the plant mom on their website. While you're there, check out all of Bloomscape's indoor plants as well as their new outdoor bloom kits. This is such an easy way to find young plants, the accessories you need, as well as tools and supplies that will help get your porch or patio ready to greet spring right alongside you. Get 15% off plant orders of $100 with promo code MOMS at bloomscape.com. That's 15% off plant orders of $100 or more at bloomscape.com, promo code MOMS. Whether you have the kitchen skills of Julia Childs or the kitchen skills of an actual child, HelloFresh wants to help you make delicious meals for yourself and the ones you love. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, and for good reason. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with incredible seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. And they even offer 10 to 20-minute meals, quick breakfasts and lunches, and my personal favorite, low-prep recipes, which is perfect for a busy schedule. Getting dinner on the table has never been easier, thanks to HelloFresh. Each week, you can choose from 25-plus recipes that feature a huge variety of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients, so you can always try something new and delicious. Plus, they offer you the flexibility you need with customizable orders every week. I've been able to easily change my delivery days as well as food preferences, and if I know we won't be home very much one week, I can easily skip a week, which is so great. But I get a little FOMO and hate missing out on the delicious dinners. 
Dinners like the bruschetta zucchini boats, which were filled with couscous and melted Italian cheeses. They were super easy to make and my family loved them. I feel like I unlocked some sort of parenting hack by getting my kids to eat vegetables covered in cheese. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Moms12 and use code Moms12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Moms12 and use code Moms12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were just talking about how police had entered Paul Gruber's home to kind of look around and do a search after his daughter Shelly reported some strange things, like that she had gotten this card in the mail that was supposed to be from her dad, but she didn't believe that it was actually his handwriting. And now it's kind of spiraled into this whole investigation into where is this man, Paul? They still have yet to locate him. But what they did find was blood evidence in his home. And they also found some other strange things like a rug glued to the floor, possibly a ricocheted bullet mark on the floor. And so they're very invested in now finding out where is Paul Gruber. So they decided to run the DNA, which they were going to compare to Paul's kids. And this, of course, takes a few weeks to get back. But when it does come back, they learn that the blood that they found in the dining room was Paul's blood. At the same time, all of Paul's bills are being paid. So as this kind of keeps unfolding, the police learn that during this entire time that Paul has been missing and still up to the current time, all of Paul's bills are actually being paid and they're being paid on time. So everything is in good standing. As we said, his electricity bill was still on and his other bills were also being paid. But thanks to Shelly, the police also are now aware that somebody, potentially not Paul, has actually been collecting Paul's mail from the post office. So they're thinking whoever's picking up Paul's mail is the one who's seeing these bills and possibly the one who's even paying them. So the police decide to get a warrant to put a security camera inside the post office so that they can get a look at who is collecting Paul's mail. The police were able to look through the footage that they got off of the security camera, and they were able to see that there was a man that was coming to pick up the mail from his box. They couldn't really get a great view of his face. They only could see a side profile, but after they saw it, several people, and the research is unclear on who these people were who told the police about the possible identity of this man, but they said that the profile looked like a man by the name of Daryl Kuehl. And he was actually a handyman of sorts that had worked, done some work for Paul in the recent past. Daryl was a married father of seven kids who had been living in Idaho for really quite some time, but he was originally from California. Daryl was known to be an upstanding citizen around town, and he didn't have any police record to speak of. But they decided to talk to him and, and kind of interview him anyways. So Daryl was willing to go down to the police station and talk to the officers, and they asked him, you know, Hey, what's going on? Can you kind of tell us a little bit more about why it is that yeah. you are collecting mail from somebody else's P.O. box? And this is when Daryl says, oh, you know, yeah, Paul's my friend. And he actually asked me to collect his mail for him. And he claimed that Paul said he was traveling and, you know, he asked his friend Daryl to collect his mail and also keep an eye on things around his place. The police at this time have access to Paul's financials. Of course, they've already been kind of, you know, going through this information, trying to find out if they can see, you know, whether Paul has been yeah. actively using his bank accounts or anything. So they're already kind of in the know about what's going on there. 
So they actually see that several checks have been written to different businesses and they start realizing that many of the businesses that these checks have been written to were actually owned by Daryl himself. And Daryl tells the police that, you know, Paul gave him those checks to pay his bills while he was gone, which doesn't even make any sense at all. Why would Paul pay Daryl's businesses for paying his bills? That doesn't really make any sense at all. But Daryl, yeah. So Daryl claimed, though, that he and Paul were actually working on a business venture together. And, you know, the last time he saw Paul was on February 18th of 1994. So this is when the police say, hey, we're going to show you a picture and you're going to let us know, is this your friend Paul? Is this the right person that we're looking for? So Daryl looks at the picture and says, I don't know who that is, but that's not the Paul I know. And then says, quote, maybe there's two Paul Grubers running around. Can you imagine how shocked the police are that they're like, okay, you know him. You've been picking up his mail. Here's his picture. Just confirm. Let's move to the next thing. And he's like, nope, don't know that guy. That's not no clue it is. Right. Whoa, I can't imagine. And so police are definitely stunned and realize they have to really look into this and see if maybe Daryl's been dealing with somebody who's pretending to be Paul and find out now who that person is. So they send Daryl over to speak to a police sketch artist to try to figure out who is the Paul that he knows. And so the artist asked him questions. I saw like a little video of it. And my goodness, have we come a long way in computer technology? Because it was one of the weirdest pictures I've ever seen. It reminds me of, do you remember that one that went viral of a police sketch? And it's just like a face that I could even draw and like a little right. <laughs> a weird yes. little hat. That's what it looked like. It wasn't, there wasn't much going on with it. So the artist asked him questions, you know, about features. And at the end of the drawing, police look at this sketch and realize it looks like the sketch artist. It doesn't, you know, it's it's really way too close to the sketch artist. And so they put it in the newspaper, though, and say, you know, if you know who this person is, please come forward. They don't get a single lead, which is actually surprising since I'm assuming the sketch artist lives in town. Apparently, nobody even remembered what that guy looked like. (laughs) So Police have this, and they ask Daryl permission at this point to go search his house and his property. Daryl agrees, and they go over to his property. While they're there, they find several things of Paul's, including this set of bar stools. They had seen it from one of his videos, you know, one of those nice videos that he took of his entire house. These bar stools were in the video. He had those at his house. He also had a generator, a boat. He had lots of stuff. And Daryl was like, yeah, no, those are Paul's. I know those are Paul's, but he gave them to me. And police during their search also find various weapons. They find knives, they find army fatigues, and they also find a 22 on his property. At this point, They think that Daryl has something to do with Paul's disappearance, but they don't even know for sure if Daryl has even met the same Paul they're looking for. And so in the middle of this investigation, though, police are, you know, looking into Daryl, looking into connections, trying to figure out who the real Paul is. And Daryl and his family suddenly move to Gig Harbor, Washington. So police find this immediately suspicious. It's There was no reason for them to move. You know, there wasn't like some job waiting for him, anything like that. It was kind of like, it's getting hot here. We're out of here. And so they keep going to the prosecutor, giving them, you know, the evidence they're finding to connect Daryl to Paul. And the prosecutor keeps saying, you don't have enough. Like, we don't even know 
who this Paul is that he's working with. Like there's nothing to connect him. We we can't make these connections. Keep looking. And so in 1995, after almost two years of searching, they still haven't found any concrete evidence to link Daryl to Paul. And they haven't found Paul's body despite searching several times at his house, even bringing cadaver dogs through. In August of 1995 though, another officer hears the you know, officers working on this case, hears them discussing this case, and he hears the name Paul. And he said, you know, hang on, I recognize that name. I actually was doing some side work there. I was doing like some finishing work and electrical work there. If you want, I can go look at the house and tell you if anything's changed since I was there. And so they agree and they take this officer with them there on August 23rd, 1995. This new officer has been through all of the house, and so he goes into the crawl space, and he says he sees something that he didn't see before. And they've been through this crawl space, and nothing looked unusual to them before. And they see this depression in the ground, and so police begin to dig. Within just a short while, they find a finger bone and then his wrist that still actually had a working watch on it. Wow. Yeah. And they realize they found Paul. And when he was exhumed, they found his body in a bathrobe wrapped in an air mattress. They eventually confirmed that it is Paul through dental records. And an autopsy would later confirm that Paul had been shot four times. And there's still so much more left of this story, and we're going to get back to it after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. When we were first introduced to Rothy's, I have to admit I was a little skeptical. Shoes that are made out of recycled plastic water bottles that are not only cute, but also comfortable. And then I tried my first pair of Rothy's and I was a believer from the moment I put them on because they are the most comfortable shoes I have ever worn. It's kind of like having your own personal Cinderella moment. Plus to date, Rothy's has transformed over 75 million bottles into beautiful products so you can feel great about buying them as well. And if that's not enough, Rothy's bags and shoes are completely machine washable, which is perfect because I wear my Rothy's tennis shoes in steel gray all the time, and I want to keep them looking just as great as the day I got them. And it's not just us that love our Rothy's. CNN says Rothy's are the comfiest slip-on shoe I've ever owned, period. And Julie J says they're her favorite shoes of all time. And if you're on the fence about trying Rothy's, don't worry. Rothy's comes with free shipping and free returns, so you can give them a try for yourself. Rothy's are great for any occasion, but I love that I can wear mine with a skirt, shorts, or pants, and they are my everyday shoe. Check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash moms. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash moms. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash moms today. Making changes to live a healthier lifestyle can feel like a huge undertaking, but it doesn't have to be that way. Small changes can add up in a big way. And if you aren't sure where to begin, might we introduce you to Grove Collaborative? You've probably heard us talking about Grove Collaborative in the past, and that's because we are huge fans of them and love that we can have our home, personal care, and beauty products sent directly to our homes. If you want to go green but don't know where to start, you've come to the right place. Grove wants to make it easy for you. You can browse their site for literally thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products that you know are guaranteed to be good not only for you, but for your family, your home, and the planet. I love that I can shop for all my needs in one place instead of driving all over town or scouring different websites for different products. I can get anything from Grove Co.'s hydrating hand sanitizer, which I swear by, to shameless pet dog treats in a variety pack for our puppy. 
Grove has everything you need for every member of your family, even of the canine variety. Join over 2 million households who have trusted Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier. Plus, shipping is fast and free on your first order. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier. For a limited time, when our listeners go to grove.co slash mm, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash mm to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash mm. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were just talking about how investigators were back at Paul's house to kind of keep investigating what has happened to Paul. And sadly, they did discover in a crawl space in the house that there were human remains. So they sent the forensic evidence they had off for testing, and it was confirmed that these remains did belong to Paul Gruber. The police alerted his family, who were, of course, absolutely devastated. So once investigators confirmed that this was Paul and that he was the victim of a crime, they went back to the prosecutor, you know, who thought they still needed more information before they could arrest Daryl. In January of 1996, they finally did get their big break. A friend of Paul's actually contacted the police and said that he remembered seeing a person in one of the videos Paul showed him of his new house. And the police showed his friend a lineup of photos, and Paul's friend was able to identify Daryl as the man from this video that Paul was taking, and he called Daryl his handyman. The police finally had a connection between Paul and Daryl, but they still really wanted more and more concrete evidence. They knew that the DNA would really be kind of the thing that would be a slam dunk for them in this case. 
One day, Detective Scott Birch was watching the news, and they are talking about the Unabomber and how the police had been able to find him thanks to DNA on stamps. And so they realized that, you know, maybe they should try this method with the cards that were sent to Paul's daughter, Shelly. The police sent the cards to a state DNA lab, and they were able to get a match on saliva within three weeks. They also sent out handwriting samples again, and they had a new analyst look over them, and this analyst actually said that they were similar to Paul's writing, but there were several things that actually did not match up and that were wrong. For example, the P in Paul, when he signed his name, did not have the defined loop that Paul typically made whenever he signed his cards. And there were other letters like M and N that didn't really look right when you compared them to the previous cards that he had sent his daughter, Shelly. And this was really the same thing that Shelly had been saying since the beginning, you know, that his handwriting, his signature, these things don't look like my father. And you know, I, you know, growing up, I could recognize my dad's handwriting anywhere. You know, if I were to see it now, now I would recognize his handwriting. So it's not like as his daughter, she's just confused and is thinking, oh, I, you know, it could be him. I feel like you know for sure if you're looking at your parents' handwriting yeah. or not. So the police and the prosecutors really felt that they had enough to arrest Daryl for Paul's murder. So the police in Idaho traveled to Washington State to arrest Daryl and to bring him back to Idaho to face charges of murder. Luckily, Daryl has no idea that the police are on their way because once he's arrested, police find out in his house that he has a go bag, which, you know, just contains food, clothes, weapons, and they believe that he was ready to leave at a moment's notice. This reminds me of that show. Have you ever seen the show, The Doomsday Preppers, and they have bug out yes, bags? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, like this reminded me of a bug out bag. Oh, that's so funny. I haven't heard about that show in so long. My husband used to like it. <laughs> Daryl was arrested on May 20th, 1996 with charges of first degree murder, grand larceny, and five counts of forgery. But he didn't stop there. While he's awaiting trial, he offers this other prisoner who he knows is about to be released to kill the officers that would be transporting him for trial so he could escape. Basically, once once you're out, the day that I'm coming out, I just want you to kill these people and I will run off and I'm sure totally get away with it. So Daryl wasn't able to come up with this $15,000. No joke, he's in prison. So he finds another inmate and offers this guy $1,000 and the title to two of his cars to find a transient to have him confess to the murder, which I don't even understand this plan. Like, can you find somebody who just will confess to murder? I don't really get, I don't get how $1,000 is going to do that for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So, no. so his wife is working on this on the outside and he sends this guy to his wife to get the title to the cars and the $1,000, but who shows up but an undercover officer. And his wife is not arrested or charged in this, but police still go knowing that Daryl's trying to get them killed and they go to escort him to his trial. So whenever they come to get him, they say to him, oh, sorry, you know, I know you wanted us dead, but the guy you asked turned to state's witness. Sorry. (laughs) So he's like totally shocked. Yeah. Can you imagine that? And like looking at somebody and being like, you wanted to kill me. I... What's going on here? Oh, my gosh, no. So the three-week trial begins on April 9th, 1997, and the jury is comprised of seven women and five men. The prosecution says Daryl is really greedy, and he just wants Paul's money and feels like it's going to be easy money. 
Some sources say that at the time of Paul's death, Daryl was broke and he was living with friends. The prosecution says the person that benefits the most from Paul's death is Daryl. Daryl has access to his social security, his bank information, passwords. He has everything. He can totally take over his life. And they also said that thousands of dollars, around $30,000, was missing from Paul's account, including checks that he had written to Daryl and Daryl's fake companies. I don't know if they were fake, but to Daryl's companies. Yeah. So during the investigation, the police combed through Paul's ATM transactions, and they found several instances where 100, 200, or other smaller amounts were withdrawn from the ATM. According to the family, Paul didn't really take out many cash withdrawals like that. So that already looked a little suspicious to them. But an interesting thing is that the ATMs where the money was taken out, none of them actually had cameras. So whoever was using them, it appeared was using them very strategically and choosing those specifically because they did not have cameras. I also can't imagine, this was in the 90s, but I... It's so hard to believe that there was any ATMs that didn't have cameras on them because, yeah, that just wouldn't be a thing. I feel like now in 2020 or 2021, rather, all ATMs definitely have cameras. But so it, it just is weird that there was even that many that didn't have any. But isn't it fascinating? Like, really, if you don't, if if you're trying to get away with this and you're paying bills, you're doing all these things to kind of keep you know, keep suspicion at bay and you know, I'm going to be getting money out, but I can't get it at these locations. Like he really was thinking this whole thing through and he did his research. Yeah. That's crazy to me because I would think like, oh yeah, check the security cameras. But no, he, he used ones that he knew didn't have cameras. That kind of just blew my mind. Yeah. After working with Paul as a handyman, Daryl realized that he had money and he also didn't have any connections to Idaho and maybe he thought that Paul didn't have any family who was checking out for him and, you know, trying to keep in contact with him. So they believe that he decided to kill Paul and then take over his accounts, hopefully without anybody ever realizing this is a terrible plan, no matter no matter who you choose to yeah. do this to is an awful idea, but you are really taking a chance that nobody is going to come looking for this man. It's just so, I don't even have a word for what it is. It's crazy to me that he thought he would actually be able to pull this off and get away with it. Yeah. So of course, what Daryl wasn't expecting was that Paul did have family and he had his daughter, Shelly, especially, and she was very tenacious and was very invested in finding out what happened to her dad. So Shelly ended up kind of becoming a thorn in Daryl's side, really, because she helped right from the beginning with the investigation into her dad's whereabouts. And it was Shelly who really pushed the detectives and said, you know, please look into this further. This is definitely not right. I know my dad. Something is wrong. You know, he would never do this. He would never go missing. And it was really her who kind of pushed the police to continue investigating this, even though they kept saying Mm, yeah, it's weird, but we don't really have enough. Yeah. And it was really Shelly who said, no, keep looking, keep looking. There is something here that we're missing. On top of calling her dad's phone to remind him of her son's birthday, Shelly went one step further and left a message on the machine, you know, saying, don't forget that it was her husband's birthday and to send him a check like, you know, he said, like he said he would. Apparently her father had said he was going to send um, her husband a check. So then a few days later, a check and a card actually did arrive at Shelly's and it was made out to Shelly's husband and they got this in the mail. So Shelly knows this is not her dad and it wasn't even her husband's birthday. She actually made the whole thing up and kind of knew, you know, hey, if I get a card now for my husband, 
for his birthday with a check, then I'm going to know whoever sent this doesn't realize that I'm lying. I'm bluffing. This is not really my husband's birthday. So for her to actually get a check in the mail with a birthday card for her husband, just confirmed to her that this was somebody else who was sending it and not her father. Yeah. I love that she took it a step further with a check though, to just be like, okay, I've already done the card thing for my son. He did that. But to say like, remember we talked about this money and you said you were going to send him money right. and not saying an amount or anything. I think it ended up being like a $40 check or something. But can you imagine Daryl's hearing that and it's like, okay, now I have to send money, you know, just... I just think she was so smart to do that. So the prosecution believed that Daryl went to Paul's house just a few days after he returned home from visiting his daughter. Paul was in his bathrobe, probably opens the door. Daryl comes inside. They know each other, and Daryl just starts shooting. He uses a gun with a silencer, which made it really difficult to match the gun casings. He cleans up his mess. He pulls up the floor, and like we said before, somebody went back and replaced it. That was Daryl. He has access to all of Paul's information and really just continued on like he was alive. He got his mail, paid his bills, listened to his voicemail, sent cards, sent checks, and he worked really hard to copy Paul's handwriting. But like we said before, it was never perfect. And if it wasn't for the DNA that was on that stamp, it would have been much more difficult to try this case because most of the other evidence was circumstantial. For the defense's part, they said that while someone killed Paul, it wasn't their client. He was fooled by someone pretending to be Paul, which kind of sounds like a Casey Anthony defense. Remember the whole Zenaida Gonzalez? Yes. It sounds very uh-huh. like, well, if you can't find this person, that's that's who did it. And it just cast enough doubt away from you. And so that's what the defense did. They were just looking to cast reasonable doubt. But ultimately, the jury deliberated for a day and a half and found Daryl guilty of murder, grand theft, and forgery, and he was sentenced to 25 years to life. His wife filed for divorce in 1997, and Daryl is now 70 years old, and the soonest he's eligible for parole will be in 2034, when he will be 83 years old. This is such a sad story. Yeah, it is. It's one that I... I had never heard of kind of stumbled upon it and just it doesn't make any you know there's we hear them about you know crimes of passion and and business deals gone wrong and stuff like that but this is just like oh you don't have family around I need money you have money I'm gonna take over your life it is it is crazy and he didn't really fully take on Paul's identity that was the weird part he was like still living as himself but then also just trying to like cover up and also sort of live like Paul and collect Paul's, you know, mail and his checks and everything. It was, it's really bizarre and really sad. And we did watch, there was a forensic files about this case and you got to see the daughter Shelly speaking about the whole investigation and the whole, you know, experience of going through that, of realizing like, Hey, this isn't my dad that is sending this stuff. And I can't imagine how scary that would be. And then realizing, you know, I haven't talked to him on the phone. I can't get a hold of him. We're only getting these weird cards that aren't in his handwriting. Like that would be terrifying and just so scary and so nerve wracking trying to figure out what is going on. Yeah. Just a very bizarre case and a super sad outcome. And not wanting to believe it, right? You could probably, as soon as the police tell you, hey, that's not that's the same handwriting. There's got to be a part of you that's like, okay, well, they have an expert. You know what I mean? But it sounds like without right. Shelly's help, who knows how far this would have gone because she just stayed on them and stayed involved in the case. And 
I don't know. I, I was telling Mandy and I were talking about it earlier a little and just my heart went out to her because she just seemed to really, you know, love her dad. And this is obviously just such a tragedy. All right, Melissa, are you ready to move on to our last thing before we go for the week? I am. Let's do it. I am too. So if you have listened to the show for a while, then you've probably heard our silly little commentary and mostly in the beginning. We haven't really said anything about it in a while, but Melissa has made jokes about her word of the day calendar. And we've kind of said that we would love to try and use bigger and better words. And this week for last thing before we go, we decided to look up some really interesting words and we're going to say what the word is and we're going to give the real definition and a fake definition and see if each other can guess which one is the real definition. So in the process, we're going to learn some new words and hopefully be able to apply them in our real lives. I don't know. The ones I chose, I don't think you're going to have a lot of opportunity yeah, to use, me either. <laughs> but you might. We'll see. We will see. We will see. So Melissa, do you want to go first sure. and introduce the first strange word of the of the episode. There we go. Okay, so mine is oh, you wrote pronunciations and I like an idiot did not. It's like I've learned nothing <laughs> from my calendar. Uh the first one is hapax legomenon. Hapax legomenon. Oh. I can't wait for somebody to be listening to this and being like you idiot. That isn't even close. <laughs> <laughs> so Mandy, does it mean a word or form occurring only once in a document? Or to throw violently in the air, especially to throw a frog into the air from the end of a stick. Hold on. Is this an English? Is this an English word? I think so. I I actually did not add that to the front. No, I think it is. Hapax legomenon. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it sounds totally in English. Um. (laughs) Keep in mind who's saying it. So that's got to be part of it. A word or form <laughs> occurring only once in a document or to throw violently into the air, especially to throw a frog into the air from the end of a stick. I'm going to say it's the first definition. You would be correct. Uh, yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, it must be a Latin word, actually, because it's a word, a form in a document. I feel like that's very – oh, it has corpus right. at the end of it. Yeah, corpus. It's something legal. But the other word is a real <laughs> – it's a real thing. Spang hue is throwing violently in the air, especially a frog. How often does that happen that you throw throw a frog from the stick? If you do it, yeah. if you see somebody doing it, they're spang hewing. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Wow. Call the police. Okay. Well, I'll I will I will keep that in mind and and hopefully remember to use it. I hope you don't <laughs> see it happening. There's just no reason. <laughs> All right, so here is my first word. My first word is Gothamite. Okay. Is it a type of rock commonly found in the caverns of Sonora in Sonora, Texas, or is Gothamite an imbecile, simpleton, fool, idiot, etc.? Oh, okay. So Gothamite. The ite at the end reminds me of like stalagmites, stalactites, and the first thing, <laughs> right? It reminds me of some cave thing, but I feel like you're trying to trick me and I feel like an imbecile. And so I'm going to go against my judgment because my judgments brought me nowhere in life and go with the second one. You are actually right. And the reason I even 
I even thought of that fake definition was because I knew that you would think it sounded like a rock because that's what it sounded like to me too, but that's actually not what it is. Um, yeah, Gothamite is an imbecile, simpleton, fool, idiot, etc. And there's a second definition, which I added and included in here because I thought it was very offensive, but also kind of funny as long as you are willing to laugh at yourself if you are from New York City. But the second definition of Gothamite is a native or resident of New York City, which I think is really rude when the first definition is imbecile, simpleton, fool, idiot, etc. That seems more like a Florida thing if I'm being totally honest. But Gothamite, that makes sense. Gotham, right? From what? what is that? Right. Batman? Oh gosh. Batman, Superman. Yes. Okay, Batman. Yes. Okay. All right. Got it. Okay, Mandy, my next word is, oh gosh, miticism. Miticism. Is it the excessive or wrong use of the sound of the letter M? Or is a condition that is characterized by walking while asleep or in a hypnotic trance? Miticism. Hmm. I feel like it would be really messed up to make the wrongful use of the letter M or sound or whatever you said. I feel like it would be messed up to use an M word to describe that because that's just rude. That's just yeah mean. So I feel like it has to be the second thing. Okay, you're wrong. It was definitely the first one. <laughs> Yeah, it's something it was like even people that are like, mmm. And if you watch 90 Day Fiance, there's a guy on there that does that and it makes me so uncomfortable. So if you have this, then you can't even say the word to describe it because you can't say the Don't letter M. Don't excessively like, say it. Don't excessively oh. do it or use the wrong use of it. I don't know if you'd call it niticism. I don't know. But the other word was actually the definition for somnib somnambulism i feel like you talked about that when we did a sleepwalker episode yes, yes. so i, I wondered if you were going to uh-huh. catch that but you didn't <laughs> i did not I did so we not. haven't learned not. anything actually ever we haven't. no because we didn't write these down 15 times a day for a week and then do a spelling exactly. quiz exactly. that's why we haven't there you go these. all right what you got <laughs> okay my next one is grinagogue i'm listening okay Grinagogue. Is it a person who is perpetually grinning or a type of insanity in which one believes oneself to be an ox? Oh, I just hope that's that one because that one is makes me so happy. <laughs> I could see myself getting there no. someday. <laughs> yeah. So no, a grinagogue is a person who is perpetually grinning. So that's like me. I feel like you can call me that now because I'm giggling. I'm grinning. I'm I'm a grinagogue. That's what we're going to call me from now on. I feel like that is a very, like, that's a, a, a complimentary thing to call yourself a grinagogue. <laughs> what is the opposite of a grinagogue? A frownagogue? A, a I think troll? I'm just the ox Like one. a mean troll. Okay, too far, too far. How did we jump to trolls from you don't smile a lot to you're a troll? Okay, <laughs> well, a big jump. Well, if you really wanted to know the word for the type of insanity in which one believes oneself to be yeah, an ox, um, the actual word for that is boanthropy. Okay, that makes sense. Boanthropy. I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. But so I plan to be a boanthropist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm weeks away. Perfect. Okay, next one I have is oh gosh, why did I do this to myself? Ready? All right. Flibber to gibbet. Whoa. Flibber to gibbet. Flibber to gibbet. It's either someone who's exhausted or someone who's silly and talks. I'm going to say silly and talks excessively. There you go. That it is that one. But the someone who's exhausted, do you know what that's called? I like this even A better. Mom? Why did I pick this? 
Yeah. <laughs> no, it's called a wabbit. A wabbit? Isn't that so cute? Like a wascally yes. wabbit? <laughs> yeah. When I was little, my family used to, has so many videos of me saying rabbits and just not saying it right and just like over and over again. Like there's like three hour tapes of being like, Melissa, say rabbits again. And I just like spit all over myself and say wabbits. And I think it's kind of disgusting to do that to a child, but there's oh. a video out there somewhere of that. <laughs> all right. What do you got? I have one last one and the word is kerglaf. Kerglaf. Kerglaf? Kerglaf. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yes. It won't help me. Right. You could say anything. All right. It's kerglaf. So is it the shock felt when one first plunges into cold water or is kerglaf a competitive sport played in Uzbekistan that involves training the wild dormouse to complete various obstacle courses? I'm not kidding. I blacked out about halfway <laughs> through that sentence. <laughs> I made it three words and then I was like, well, I'm not even going to guess that. I can't repeat that. Um... <laughs> Hold on. What was – take out the whole – like, what is the race that they're doing? <laughs> it says a competitive sport played in Uzbekistan that involves training the wild dormouse to complete various obstacle courses. I kind of love that, and I hope that's it, and I kind of want to watch it. But what's a dormouse? Is it different than a hall mouse I don't know. or a window <laughs> mouse? <laughs> Okay, what's the answer? So the answer is that Kerglaf is the shock felt when one first plunges into cold water. And that other thing I just created and invented about Uzbekistan Dormouse was just all me coming up with that randomly. I actually Googled like what animal is from there and like just came up with some Good random job. thing. Yeah. And I'm happy that you loved it and that you want that to be a thing because I do too now. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen like my sons watch the YouTube videos where they have hamsters racing? No. Like, people do like really cool like things. So that's what I was thinking. It was like really huge house things that they have them do. It's really cool. Um, I mean, I don't know. As cool as a YouTube video about a hamster racing can be. So um, the, my last one is Snickersnee. Snickersnee. Hmm. Is it a long, dangerous knife? Or is it an object that has little or no value? I'm going to say object with little or no value. No, that is a gubbins. Oh. This is a long, dangerous knife, a snickersnee. Wow. So like a sword? Well, it didn't go that far. This is a long, <laughs> dangerous knife. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I would love to see that in a police report. And then he talked to him with a snickersnee. Right. Be like, well. Are you hungry? Maybe that's it. Eat a Snickers. That's funny. No, that's awesome. I love those. Those are very – that was a very adult vocabulary list that we just gave um, everybody listening. And I love it. But I love words like that. I love big words and I like learning new crazy words. So I was telling Melissa that the words that I came up with – I didn't come up with them. The words that I found for um, this last thing before we go, I got them off of a page I follow on Facebook – called grandiloquent word of the day and it just has it just features a bunch of words that are no longer really in use it's a lot of words that are from another time entirely and they are absolutely hysterical so if you want to follow along and have a grandiloquent word of the day delivered to you then yeah you should check that page out on facebook and grandiloquent by the way if you're like what in the world does that even mean it means pompous or extravagant in language, style, or manner, especially in a way that is intended to impress. So if you want to be that, you should follow that page and learn these crazy words. 
I love it. I mean, I'm not going to because my brain can barely handle two syllables, right. but I really like it for other people. <laughs> yeah, I think the those those among us who enjoy just that kind of word, if you're a wordist, what have you, if you like words. Is that a thing? No, that's not a thing. I just, that's also okay. made up. Um, <laughs> but if you like words and you like learning new words, then it really is a cool page to follow. I think you would even like it, Melissa. It, it's good for a laugh every now and then too. There's some funny ones on there. I like to laugh as as a troll does. Right. I enjoy it every (laughs) once in a while. So before we go, we are going to play the promo for our friends Corpus Licti. They have a new series they're working on, and it's incredible, and what they're doing is so important. So we would love for you guys to check it out, and that'll play at the end of the episode. And also uh, Criminality, my other show had a second episode on Kim Kardashian, and when she was robbed in Paris, yeah, I had no idea about that story. It's crazy. So if you want to check that out, that's uh, Criminality. I do. I do want to check that out. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I had no idea about it. It's pretty crazy. Awesome. All right, guys. We will see you back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Here in Alabama, a man named Robin Rocky Myers sits on death row, where he's been since 1993 after being convicted of capital murder. His appeals have run out, and he's awaiting an execution date. There's just one major problem. Rocky might be innocent. Road to Redemption is the new multi-part miniseries on Corpus Delicti. We will take you through his story. The lack of evidence, witness tampering, likely jury bias, overridden sentence, being abandoned by his attorney, and a highly debated intellectual disability. You'll hear from his lawyer, investigator, and others involved in Rocky's fight. And that's where you come in. We need your help. Rocky's Last Hope, the governor of Alabama. Join us, Jen and Lindsay, the hosts of Corpus Delicti, as we aim to bring this case to her attention. Find Corpus Delicti on your favorite podcast app by searching C-O-R-P-U-S-D-E-L-I-C-T-I. Episodes release weekly, so join us on Tuesdays starting March 9th to hear Rocky's story. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.